0: Alan, thank you so much for uh, joining us today. This is a pretty incredible project you've been working on now for quite some time. It's the complete albums collection we're talking about—eleven LPs, this box set. First of all, welcome to uh, the Soundworks Collection. Thanks for coming.
1: Oh, thank you. Pleasure to be here.
0: What was the inspiration, and what was the moment when you when you thought of taking on this endeavor? Because you've done re-releases and you know other momentous anniversaries for your albums, but what was the occasion for this one?
1: well it was really spearheaded by this this uh record label called cooking vinyl who uh approached the the main label sony uh to start with i was brought in and uh yeah i thought it was a great idea um vinyl is uh undergoing this incredible renaissance right now and so it's 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 really good to know that uh my staff is is going out uh, on the best possible quality vinyl, best quality, best possible quality mastering and uh, half speed and, and a great mastering engineer, Miles Scholl at, at Abbey Road. So, uh, yeah, it's, 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 uh, it's going to be exciting. It's, uh, I'm not sure of the exact release date, but it's, 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 not far off.
0: Was this a pandemic project? How long ago did you start it?
1: Oh, it must've been a year ago. Um, yeah, I mean uh th- this is the sort of thing that can go on during during a uh, pandemic periods. Um th- th- there w- there was an extreme difficulty in uh, in locating all the original tapes. Um after 40 odd years of uh being moved around the planet, <laughs> uh you know a lot of things go missing. So uh, we but we eventually found everything. Um you know the the, the uh I think up to Eye in the Sky was all analog, of course. So we we were looking for quarter-inch masters. Uh, there was a time when I had everything. I had everything stored safely in in my possession, but uh, the label weren't happy with that, and so um, they 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 took them all. And like I said, they've 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 all got spread around the, spread around the globe in various places. But we found them all in the end.
0: Do you enjoy that type of work of going back to your old masters and kind of, you know, dusting them off and putting them back up and, you know, that process of revisiting yeah. the tracks? Yeah.
1: It's, it, it's fun to, uh, I, I'm not in the habit of listening to my own stuff very, very often. Um, so when you're, uh, you know, kind of required to do so as part of the process, it was, uh, it was really interesting. Yeah. And, um, I, I was pleased. I was pleased with the way things uh, sounded. Um, I mean the uh the early albums I think uh you know I think they still stand up reasonably well to uh to the to any comparison with with what I might have done today.
0: Yeah, so these conversations with Miles Showell. It's you know he's this acclaimed mastering engineer at Abbey Road Studios. He's someone who has an expertise in this approach of half speed mastering. What was your take on this time in this place in 2022 of you know a combination of analog and digital masters what you know what, what's a little different about nowadays of remastering or representing work on vinyl
1: you know um i'm not really um I I, I I wasn't a party to uh to any of the actual mastering sessions i i left it totally to to mars to to do it um back in the day i when uh when chris blair my good friend chris blair was alive um he he did all all my uh mastering. And I would, I would go and, uh, you know, sit in on, on the mastering sessions and occasionally say, well, this track doesn't sound quite loud enough, or this, this could do a little bit of extra top or whatever. But Miles has done a fantastic job. And, um, I've, I've even left the, uh, the, the, the testing of, of test pressings to, uh, to, uh, Miles and the label. So, uh, I, I, I <laughs> it would, it would take a lot of time to, uh, literally, you know, do, uh, in depth tests on 11 albums. I mean, that's, that's, that's a, quite a bit of work. <laughs> so I, 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 I just said, you know, you know what you're doing. Go, go, go for it.
0: Yeah, there's something that Miles has shared, which he said is, uh, you know, when people question of working with high resolution files and, you know, for him, he was saying, basically, we treat them very sensitively. You don't go crazy with compression and limiting. When you first engineered these projects, I'm sure you're keeping in mind dynamics and headroom and what was available at the time. How do you think that still still uh, holds true in terms of your engineering approach and techniques when you created these albums and where we are today?
1: I I think I've established a a reputation over the years that i Dislike, um, you know, stereo uh, stereo bus compression, as it were. Um, I I've always uh, maintained that uh, if uh, if something isn't quiet enough, isn't loud enough, turn it up. You know, um, it, it, it's just a uh, you know it's just a pet peeve of mine that that people uh, stick this this uh, nasty brick wall compression on on uh, on stuff at mastering. I I just prefer you know to have the light and shade, the, you know, preserve the dynamics as much as possible.
0: What can you say just about the acoustics and the sound of the live rooms at Abbey Road Studios? I've only been on the outside. I've only seen it from the street. But once you're inside that room, I feel like it's a you know, sanctuary for sound. What, what was your take the first time and what is it like every time you revisited those spaces?
1: There is a magic. There is a magic that uh, it's indescribable. Literally every time over the years uh, that I went up the steps, into the studio. I, I just felt this, this incredible um, feeling of uh, the, the magic that uh, the place has. And, and so many great uh, music has been recorded there. And, you know, that feeling never went away. Every, Like I said, every time I went up the steps, here I am again. This is great. You know,
0: Is there something about knowing the sound of the room, knowing the sound of, of the gear and the, you know, and the speakers and just kind of the, some of those hard surfaces that Speak to you.
1: Well, I mean, the, the the simple fact of the matter is, I had a job at Abbey Road. I was I was a paid staff engineer, uh, and that continued way through the the success of the first four or five uh, project albums. So I was I was always ready to uh, always ready to uh, record at Abbey Road, whether it would be uh, the, the the middle side studio number two, which was a bit of a favorite for me uh, or number three, the smaller one. Um, it, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I just felt very at home there. I mean, I, th- that's where I trained, you know, that's where I trained to be an engineer. That's where, uh, I, you know, uh, worked with all the, uh, all the greats like the Beatles, Pink Floyd and so on and so on. And, um, I just felt very at home there and, uh, I was double dipping. I got paid twice. <laughs> so I got paid by, paid as a member of staff and, uh, by record labels uh, as the advances on the records i was making so definite case of double dipping
0: <laughs> yeah what What was your takeaway you know coming in as a trainee moving to as a tape operator and then I, I love this you know this name of balance engineers that that you know was was titled what do you appreciate about about the time that you had you know i think you, you speak very highly about listening tuning tuning your ears training your ears to listen what, how can you describe the amount of training you had in those, those formal years?
1: You do learn to, uh, you know, have, have a, a, real, uh, sense of, of what, what sounds good and what doesn't. And, uh, you, um, you just watch, you know, watch other engineers, you know, you, you, you know you take notice of what mics they use, um, and whether, and. And you form an opinion, you know, does that might work for that instrument or for this part or whatever. And, um, it, it, you know, the learning, learning to listen was, was just literally a part of, 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 uh, my training, but totally as a fly on the wall, no, no sort of f- formal, uh, uh, other engineers saying to me, oh, listen to this, you know, uh, um, or compare this with this, um, the, uh, I, I, even before getting to Abbey Road, I, w- I was, taught to, um, to AB and, and, you know, discern differences between, uh, between a recording and, uh, an input, you know, um, and that, that was, that was very crucial. Um, uh, and being able to, uh, being able to tell a level difference of one DB I and mean, that's, that's an incredibly small amount. Um, I mean, uh, I, I remember when I first started working at Hayes in, in West London, um, the The feeling was that oh no, no nobody can tell uh, a level difference of less than two dB. But I think I think I can tell one dB.
0: Yeah, I find that a lot of times it's a feeling more than a an you know a technical thing. where you look at a meter and say there it is, there's one two dB, and you, you really you really feel it. Um, you know something that I came across you talked about was in '92 you released this book, the Master Tape Book. What was your thought at that time? Because I, I think maybe you're taking a lot of your uh, your learnings and approach about, you know, the tape book and, and how to or, or master tapes at that. So yeah, what, what was the reason for, for that?
1: It was, it was largely a, um, a an appeal to people to, to learn how to, <laughs> how to mark tape boxes properly. Um, it, it was uh, a, a labor of love in a way. I mean, there, there, there was always um, mistakes that would happen, you know, a, a tape would get copied and then it would be called a production master or it would be, um, you know, the original master would be, would be, uh, would have a, a, a writing on it saying do not use and all this kind of stuff. It was, it was really a, a protection for, uh, for making sure that every, every aspect of, of the recording was, was annotated, you know, what, what the tape speed was or what the sample rate was um the 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 characteristic NAB or CCIR and you know, all that stuff and um i i i've always <laughs> i've always laughed about uh, my my father used to be a, a, a documentary film uh, maker and uh he he remembers distinctly going into a, a a film vault and picking up a box which said edits for tomorrow nothing else <laughs> So just shows you.
0: That's why I wonder, you know, the influences we have early on in our career, um, I find that a lot of times producers, engineers, sometimes they're willing to share their knowledge. They're open to talk about process and creative approach. For you, you've shown countless examples throughout your career that you're willing to share this. Where where did that come from? Like who showed you that kind of sharing of knowledge early in your career?
1: I think, uh, you know, the very fact that uh, I, I learnt my craft at Abbey Road. It was it was an indication, you know. I've Worked with all the great engineers. I mean, Jeff Emerick, uh Peter Vance, uh, Ken Scott. You know, all these all these great uh, great guys who were already al- always ready to impart their knowledge. You know, and uh, I, I was uh, you know I was curious. I, I would ask questions and I would look look for answers if if I had uh, if I had anything I. Felt needed clearing up, uh, technically. But, um, it, l- later on, um, I, I decided to, um, share my, my knowledge, my, uh, experience through, through a video series. And, uh, I, oh gosh, it must be almost 10 years ago now. We did a, we did a, a series of videos called The Art and Science of Sound Recording. So that was me just kind of spilling the beans on everything, just uh, saying, here it is. Here's, our, here's how, how I do it. You know, take it or leave it kind of thing. You
0: know, something that I, I kind of see repeat in your career is this idea of the concept album. You know, it's uh, there's themes that, you know, kind of propel you to create an album with a theme in mind or, you know, kind of a, a backstory, a time, you know, a timeline that songs follow sometimes. Um, can you tell me about, you know, obviously Dark Side of the Moon was purely, a you know, something that was maybe considered a concept album. But um you know what are the pros and cons of kind of identifying or giving yourself permission to say that this is a concept album like how is how has that kind of um influenced your work over the years
1: um i, th- I think it was reasonably clear that uh, dark side of the moon was a concept album right right from the jump but uh um i don't think uh i i i, I really didn't know what the concept was i mean uh uh I think <laughs> I think it was uh, record reviewers that actually ultimately uh, you know told the world what the what the uh what the, what the theme of the album was. I just felt comfortable along with uh, Eric Wilson who was the principal songwriter for the project albums. We 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 just felt comfortable doing doing concept uh, records. Uh, first one was based on Ed, on the work of Edgar Allan Poe. The next one was about robotics. The next one was about pyramids. You know, all all, uh, kind of loose concepts, but uh, we we found it easier to uh, to to actually compose and and write songs if there was a if there was a a, a concept to follow.
0: Yeah, something that I you know when I look at the discography over the years of the run that you guys had, you know, as early as seventy six with Tales of Mystery, and, and it was pretty much every year you guys were turning out new records. What do you appreciate about sometimes the constraints of time or just not really having a chance to stop and overthink you know your process of kind of working off the instinct well
1: we, we had the, we had the advantage of not having a live show so um you know that's all i did i I, I made record and um so that was that was that was a help uh, that was uh that was ultimately to be changed in in, in the nineties but um yeah, we, we we uh we had nothing better to do really than to just proceed to the next album as one album came out we started thinking about the next one
0: um you know something that was really interesting looking back at the masters and, and this change from analog to you know digital with umatic and you know this kind of progression you know i think your last i think your last digital recording is it true was around 2004 maybe is that right when you went to digital
1: first of all uh the the stereo formats came along i mean sony 1610 and so on so the, there were several albums that were mixed digital never no, recorded analog and, and mixed digital then the the dash format came along and uh, we uh took the plunge eric and i took the plunge and and bought a pair of uh 24 track uh, sony dash machines at enormous expense <laughs> um, and, um, so I made, uh, oh, two or three albums using, using that format. And then, uh, I think it was, uh, must have been about, uh, around about 96, 97 that I, I invested in, uh, Tascam DA88s, you know, uh, 48 tracks of them. So, uh, uh, six, six machines all running in sync with each other. Very fiddly, you know, you have to put, put the tapes in one at a time, you know, and, uh, Make backups, of course, because it was a, a fairly, uh, fairly delicate format, the 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 Tascam format. But they, you know, they sounded good. But you know, everything, the dash format and the Tascam format were both 16 bit. And uh, you know, it was a quite a revelation when uh, when I was able to uh, go to Pro Tools and 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 actually use uh, you know higher sample rates, higher bit rates, and so on.
0: Yeah, so something that um, that was noted from the liner notes I've come across, A in the Sky, is at that point you were working on a Fairlight workstation. What was attractive to you at that point of what the Fairlight offered, and how did it influence that album?
1: I mean, it was simply uh, the, the first sampling keyboard. Um, it was uh, incredible that you could, uh, you know, press a button, record a sound, and then have it, have it play back on the keyboard. In in different pitches, Uh, and I I just love that uh, that idea. Um, And um, actually, on uh, on on Iron Sky, um, Sirius, which has come affectionately known by most people as the Bulls theme or the Michael Jordan theme, um, that was that was written on on, on the Fairlight with a a clavinet sample.
0: What did you see in terms of with the industry of people holding on to the analog process, and th- those who are willing to start to tiptoe into digital? Um, was there, you know, two different thought processes of approach? Well, like, what, what, what was the takeaway? What was the overall feeling you thought of, of the community at that point?
1: I think, uh, you know, everybody loved um, the, the 1610 1630 format. Um, but our got uh, our ears got better at at uh, sensing what the uh, what the weaknesses were of of of, the, of those formats um and uh, frankly now you know people people almost almost look upon cd as being a oh, really it really wasn't very good you know uh, just like the previous uh the previous um, format cassettes everybody thought cassettes were wonderful at the time but no <laughs> they didn't sound good <laughs>
0: You know, there's many moments that, you know, you've been very vocal about, you know, kind of the, how else to put it, the, the problems with MP3s, was with digital, when digital is misrepresented or when it's, you know, delivered and presented in a way that sacrifices the overall quality. Where where do you think we are today? Because I think you recently updated your studio, is it true, with uh, Dolby Atmos, is that right? Yes, I did.
1: And um, obviously uh, looking forward to, uh, more uh, more products. Um, I've I've only uh, I've only uh, done a couple of things so far, and uh, I'm, I'm hoping that we'll uh, be able to do iRobot very soon in in uh, in Atmos. Um, I, I think when when digital formats first started, everybody said, "Oh, this is great! No 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 hiss, no crackles, you know, no uh, no uh, vinyl crackle." But uh, you know. It, these days vinyl is is uh, a true form a true close to the original format if you have the, if you have good gear it, it really does sound uh, pretty much as good as the original with a few pops and crackles but you know we we can live with that.
0: the format of quadraphonic before i guess was dark side of the moon the first time you had done that quadraphonic mixing or were there projects before then
1: no, that was that was the first first thing I I, I uh, worked on. I also did um around the same time I I, uh, I mixed uh bells uh, in, in quad with with some help from uh, uh Mike Oldfield's crew, you know. But um that that was fun to do. Um but the um the quadraphonic Dark Side of the Moon, um is finally out there um it was it was a kind of a bootleg for for a while but it's it's in one of the box sets you can you can actually play it
0: there's you know people's theories about how to mix you know quadraphonic or even surround and something that that you shared was uh not using the center channel for dialogue and you know of using that phantom center what what's a little different about how, how you imagine or even 5.1 or surround you know immersive audio what's what are you trying to create what what are you how do you like to envelop the uh, listener
1: I I just never really felt comfortable using that using the center channel um, I mean a, a lot of people use the center channel for vocals which means basically that when you mute the center channel you've got an instant karaoke uh, version which I, I would I would not be happy with if it was my product. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I've, I really don't use the center channel. I mean, I, I, it's in there, the meters will be, uh, fluttering at the, at the bottom, uh, showing that there is a signal there, but it, it's, 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 it's not, it's not really meant to be heard. Uh, I, I usually just, you know, so, um, it's, uh, essentially what, what, when I mix 5.1, it's 4.1. <laughs>
0: how do you like to spread out the lower energy how do you tend to you know imagine uh, I mean the lower registry of, of your mixes
1: it's very simple it's, it's just the bass and the kick drum I mean that's all I ever put in there and you just find uh, you just find a level that uh, that uh, suits the music and suits what everybody else is doing I mean, there are vast differences between uh, different different uh, artists you know what what what's happening in the bottom end I mean, if you play um, if you play rumours by uh, Fleetwood Mac, for example, there's a huge amount of bass, um, and uh, other other albums I've heard have, have got you know net, next to nothing in the subs. It's, it's weird. Um, Stephen Wilson is doing some great work. Uh, he's he's become a, a good friend. We we did a, a, an album together a couple of years ago, and uh, he's getting a lot of the projects I wish I was getting. So, I'm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, uh, I'm looking looking uh in probably in into next year and, and doing a a number of other people's uh, albums, hopefully. If I can persuade them that I'm the right person to do it.
0: Oh my gosh. That's exciting. The um one of, one of the, the comments you said is mixing surround is easier than stereo. I feel like some people are still trying to grasp with stereo. What what do you because obviously, like with the history of people working from mono into stereo, stereo into surround, and you know now with Atmos and immersive audio, it's you know kind of the cat's out of the bag. Why why is surround easier for you?
1: It, it just seems that uh, if you if you have four sources, the, the the balance between the instruments is is less crucial. I mean, you you can literally move <laughs> move your listening position slightly back or slightly forward. And you'll you will get a different balance, but so the, I think the, that makes your ears more forgiving for any anomaly in between the, the balance of instruments. Um, and um, more often than not, I've I've uh, done a stereo mix first, and then and then uh, literally um, just s- summed everything, gone to stereo, and you know maybe a couple of small adjustments, and it's it's really worked worked, worked fine. So I, I've been able to, uh, thankfully to, to do, uh, surround mixes and stereo mixes on the same, on the same day, literally just together.
0: Well, uh, what do you remember from, at least from Abbey Road and the studios you're working in when it comes to speakers? How did you find the translation? What, what, like, where did you think speaker technology was then? And obviously where it's evolved to now, what, what are the pros and cons of both?
1: When, when I first joined Abbey Road that we, we were using Altec speakers, um, and, uh, probably three years after I'd been there, the the uh, the JBL 4320s came into the building and everybody seemed to like those. Uh, the, the classical guys all, had always stuck with uh, B&W yeah. Bowers and Wilkins uh, speakers. And uh, b and always had a good relationship with Abbey Road. And um, when the uh, Nautilus 801 and 802 series came out, uh, Everybody said, "Ah, this is this is something. Uh, this is something that, that could be embraced by by both sides, both classical and uh, rock and pop." I still have B&W speakers from uh, from the UK here in my uh, in my home studio, so I, I still love them. And uh, I got B, I got B&W uh, speakers for the for the for the upstairs speakers and the side speakers for the for the for the Atmos. So it's it's, it's uh, I've been very faithful to BMW over the years. <laughs> Thank you, BMW.
0: Yeah. Well, what have you found in terms of translation? I mean, back in the day, it was you know we're it's going to a vinyl record. The experience is maybe you can control maybe some of those variables a little more. Obviously, there's amplifier and speakers and there's wire and there's opportunities for things to change. But um, what are some of the what are some of the complexities when you monitor your mixes today? Because I find when I listen to you know a blu-ray or a cd or even a streaming of your mixes i feel like the translation is pretty consistent there's not huge variations and i think that comes down to the fundamentals of your engineering but yeah how, how do you how do you imagine your translation um or how, yeah well, where are you today with translation with what's out there in the world
1: um i just follow instincts i i, I don't uh, I, i'm not one to uh spend endless amounts of time listening to other products while I'm mixing, um, I, I just form a general view on what uh, what is correct, and then and then go for it. Um, I think I've I've been fortunate that uh, you know, very rarely have I ever had had to come back and uh, recall a mix because I made you know I made some some kind of error error of judgment. So uh, yeah, I'm, 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 kind of proud of that, that fact. And, and the, since working with, um, Pro Tools in earnest, I I've, I've discovered that I can work very, very quickly. I can, I, I can get a mix done, you know, in, literally in, in about two or three hours. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it, <laughs> back in the day, you know, with, uh, kind of iffy automation and, uh, moving faders and so on, uh, you know, I, I would never get a mix done in less than a day. But but now all, I do all my level adjustments, uh, you know, in the box. And uh, But I still love the fact that I'm, I'm mixing through an anal- analog console. That makes all the difference.
0: Yeah, your console, is it is it this in the Rupert Neve designs, the 5088? It's quite a beast. How does that influence your process of, you know, working on a console that, I think, can do so much and yet also be very simple and, and broken down.
1: It is uh, arguably the the ultimate in simplicity. It's, uh, uh, I mean, you look at um, some of the SSLs and, and Neve consoles of the past in, in big studios. I mean, there, there are just so many buttons and switches. It's it, it, it's, it's, it's really the ultimate simple desk. I mean, it's just, uh, it's got the fader, it's got the pan parts, it's got, the uh track switching the eq and the sends and and that's it i mean it's just absolutely simple um it was a bit of a challenge to uh find the uh necessary 11 outputs for surround but we 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 figured it out we found a way to do it
0: you know, talking about your process now, you have a home studio, Parsonic Studios. What is it like having access to pretty much all the gear you need pretty much at your fingertips? How has that changed your output? Because, you know, you just released your most recent album from the New World, and before that, you had The Secret in 2019. Are we looking at an album every other year? How, what's the frequency, do you think?
1: Uh, <laughs> remains to be seen. I, I, I've i actually um, delivered um, my uh my, the last album I'm contracted for with, with Frontiers in Italy. Um, who knows, uh, what will happen for the, for the next album. Um, but, uh, no, it, it's great to have a studio. I mean, it, it is a, it is a full blown studio. <coughs> uh, until I, I built this, uh, this studio, which is in a, in a separate building from the house. Uh, previously I had, uh, an o r 96 and, uh, you know, pretty small, pretty small room. And before that I had a pair of o 2 Um and but uh, still managed to get the uh, get the uh, Grammy uh, win for, for, for the immersive eye in the sky with a essentially uh, an album record um, mixed in the box uh, with, with some help with the with the uh, tactile uh, environment of the o2r 96 but uh, Yeah, it's great to have, uh, you know, a full blown studio. Um, I I probably could have done with 48 channels, I've got 32 channels, but I probably could have done with 48. But it's, it's as big as the room is. (laughs) So I'm I'm kind of stuck with it. But no, I'm I'm very, very happy with the studio and uh, looking forward to, um, you know, doing some more stuff uh, over the next few months.
0: This project, this recent release is called the complete albums collections. In your mind, is it complete? Is is this the last time you might have a? Re- I mean, maybe besides an Atmos or immersive audio mix, you know, of sending these to vinyl.
1: There, there is. Uh, I mean, we haven't mixed all the albums in in surround or, or Atmos yet. So, uh, I'm I'm sincerely hoping that iRobot will be the next one. And uh, uh, it's uh, it's uh, it was 1977. So, what does that make it? 30. 30- Thirty-five years is it? Forty-five yeah. years? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And you know, the, the, this set represents the Alan Parsons Project. So, um, whereas my my own stuff that I've been doing recently is 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 under my own name without without the word project in it. But uh, yeah, I I, I I don't think I'm done yet. I think I'm still still got a now or two in me to think about, but uh, I, I haven't been thinking about it yet. Um, I'm, I've, I've actually uh, quite recently just uh, released a, a studio album. It's called From the New World. And uh, we actually re- also released uh, two live albums quite recently. One one with the uh, Israel Philharmonic Orchestra, recorded in Tel Aviv a couple of years ago. That, I was very pleased with that. And uh, that's, that's doing pretty well, it's doing okay.
0: Yeah, those are great sounding albums. The, the first track off of your album, From the New World, Fairly Well, to me is just quintessential Alan Parsons musicality. I feel like it just shows the consistency of your songwriting, of your engineering. And to me, it's, it's always great to look back, but it's always great to also look forward and continue what you've done all throughout your career. Alan, it's such an honor and pleasure to chat with you and for fans who are curious you can go online and check out this new collection of 11 lps and there's a fantastic book which just has so many great stories and i think it's all down on put on paper so there's no question about it of trying to remember how that process was back then so alan thank you so much
1: you're very welcome